All right, as you take a seat, take your Bible, go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we are uh, moving right along here. And this morning, we're simply going to look at the kingdom. Now, we've, we've talked about it before, and we've looked at parables from Jesus, and where he'll say the kingdom of God is like this, right? The kingdom of God is like a, a man who went out to sow seeds. And, and this morning, he's going to continue on talking about the kingdom. Now, now keep in mind, Jesus' teaching is, is really revolutionary in that it changes the way people understood the kingdom of God. And oftentimes that, that led him into conflict with the religious leaders. We, we see that often uh, throughout the, the gospel. We've seen it up to this point. We're going to continue to see it. Where Jesus would, would teach something, it would really just disrupt their, uh, the religious leaders' understanding of, of what who God was or how the kingdom of God operated. And this morning, we're going to look at a very simple truth, but one that I think is foundational for us to understand as followers of Christ. Now, if you've ever done the, um, the Experiencing God study, I basically just ripped this right out of Experiencing God. Okay? I did not originate this quote. Um, but it's, it's important. In fact, um, so I said we're going to start back with, um, with, with the Gospel Project on Wednesday night. Once we're able to gather in some form in a, in a Sunday school class, here within the, hopefully within the next three weeks or so, um, my plan is that on Wednesday night we're going to do the Experiencing God study. Um, we'll, we'll watch the videos together. We'll, we'll go through, the, through some of the workbook. Um, and if you've never done that, let me, let me really encourage you. We have some copies of the full workbook. If you've never done Experiencing God, let me invite you to, to get one of those and, and actually do the daily studies. Now, it's intense. Um, there's about 45 minutes a day, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. But, but really, I, I think one of the, over the past 40 years, I'm, I'm not sure that there's been a more important Bible study that's been done. And so, um, listen, on Wednesday nights, we're going to watch the videos, the, the teaching by, uh, by Henry and Richard Blackaby, and you'll be blessed by that. And, and uh, I think it, it will help in your understanding of God. One of the foundational truths of experiencing God is this. God is always at work around us. That's, that's like truth number one in, in experiencing God. God is always at work in the world around us. What we're going to see this morning is God is always at work around us, growing his kingdom. Okay? Now, don't miss that word, always, in ways that we can see and in ways that we can't see. See, I think sometimes we, we get discouraged as believers because we don't see how God is actively at work in the world around us. In fact, uh, oftentimes what we see is the exact opposite of what seems like God's at work. We, we watch the news, which I don't recommend, um, or, or you, you, know, you scroll through Twitter, which I really don't recommend, and, and we don't see God at work. Instead, what we typically see is chaos and the brokenness of the world on display. We've hit a spot in our culture where bad news sells, right? Bad news gets the clicks on, on the internet, and so that's what we're going to put out. We're going to put out these sensationalistic um, bad news headlines, um, and, and so often the, the good news gets buried underneath all that. We need to be careful about that as followers of Christ, because as followers of Christ, we understand that God is always at work on the good days and on the bad days. That's where we're going to focus our attention 
this morning. So you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 26, read through verse 34. Let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Jesus is speaking here. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants, produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And thank you for your word, the way it speaks to us. I pray you would open our eyes this morning to how you are always at work in the world around us in our lives, in the lives of those whom we come in contact with. And as we see in this morning, may you lead us to a place of trust and confidence in believing that you're at work in the life of everyone that we encounter. I pray that would affect the way that we interact with neighbors, coworkers, family members, would change the way we see our own everyday existence. She would rescue us from mundane lives, believing that you're at work. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So God's always at work around us, growing his kingdom. Now, as, as we've talked before in the last three months, we've, we've, seen, um, we've seen some days unlike anything any of us have experienced. Right? I'm looking around the room. Nobody here was alive in 1918, I don't think. Um, right? And <laughs> Dewey said close. <laughs> now, you, so, some of you may have, grown, may have grown up hearing stories about the Spanish flu pandemic in, in 1918, but none of us experienced it. And so none of us have, have walked through a shutdown of the economy, a, a disruption of our everyday lives in this. And, and really from the beginning, um, I had two reactions. One was frustration, um, like, it, like everybody else, right? I mean, I'm, I was not immune to that. I was not immune to waking up on a Sunday morning and going, man, there's going to be like, there's going to be five of us in this, in this room. Um, and how long is this going to last? What does that mean for the future of our church? Is, uh, how, how are we going to move forward from here? So I, I'm, I was not immune from, uh, at times, a lack of faith and, and discouragement. And let, let me tell you, as an extrovert, um, uh, quarantine is like the worst, all right? <laughs> like, uh, so uh, I, as, as an extrovert, like, I, I thrive off of being around people. Now, a lot of my friends are, are extreme introverts. So when they go to things like the, like the Southern Baptist meet, uh, annual Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, 
and are around just thousands of people and, and, and just having to interact with people all day long, like at the end of the day, they, they wind up exhausted. At the end of the day, I'm like, this is awesome. Let's keep going. Um, so, so for me, like the, about two weeks, it was great. It's like, okay, you know, this is, this is different, but, you know, I'm, I mean, I kind of thrive on change, so that, that's, that's fine. Let's do it. And about three weeks in, I just had a day where, um, Michelle will tell you, like, I was just in a funk, man. Like, I mean, I was just, I was exhausted. I was cranky. I was probably not much fun to be around, and I couldn't figure out exactly why. And then it hit me, like, I need people. And so, it, it, I'm not immune to, to kind of putting those blinders on and saying, you know, this is, this is the worst thing ever. We're never going to get out of this. Knowing, of course, that that was a lie. Knowing the Lord was still in control. And so then really my, my, my prayer shifted from Lord, take care of us to, you know, Lord, get us out of this alive to, to really, Lord, work in ways that we may not even see during this time. And that, and that became my, my prayer, that became my focus, that, the, that this reality would actually be reality, that, that the Lord would be at work growing his kingdom in the world around us, whether we could see it visibly or not. I shared many times on, on the live stream, I think one of the things the Lord has done over the past three months is, is he's torn down some idols in our culture, maybe even in our own lives. Right? I mean, look, I've, t- I've told you before about my, my love of baseball. And, and between the months of April and October, there's like three hours a night that's blocked out for baseball until this year. If you've been following that at all, we're not sure we're going to get baseball because millionaires and billionaires can't agree on how much money they're going to make this year. But, but I digress. Um, <laughs> but have we, have we not seen idols be, be torn away? Have we not seen, I mean, financial disruptions? Jobs lost or, or at the very least in many cases suspended, kind of gone on an on indefinite hiatus? Even as simple as down to the, to the most basic forms of, of entertainment, sports, movie theaters, all, all these things have been stripped away. And, and, in, and in one sense, I, I know a lot of people who've said, man, I, these, these three months have been busier than ever. But, but in a lot of ways, it's been almost, I think, a forced Sabbath on us to slow down. Certainly to take stock of, of the things that really matter. So for the, for the people of God, my prayer is that we would see this a refining of our faith, that, that when, when we get on the other side of this, whatever normal is going to look like then, that we could look back and see God's hand of faithfulness at work. And for neighbors and coworkers who may very well be disillusioned by everything, that God would expose the futility of trusting in the things of this life. But those of us who are believers would, would recognize that and be able to plant seeds of hope. So right off the bat, this is, what, this is where we're going today. All, all that introduction, point one. Here we go. Ready for this? God will grow his kingdom. 
He will. It's not a question of if God is at work. The question is how is God at work? It's not a, not a question of if the kingdom of God is growing. The, the, the question is how is the kingdom of God growing? A really good question for us to ask here in the West is, where is the kingdom of God growing? Did you know the greatest growth of the, United, of, of the kingdom of God is not in the United States or in the West right now? It's primarily in the southern and eastern hemispheres. So what for, for many years kind of became the, cent- the central hub of Christianity in the West, meaning Europe and the United States, is no longer the case. We've seen a shift to South America and back towards the East and, and Middle East. God is growing his kingdom. And he's growing it in some of the most difficult places imaginable. So could it be that in the middle of a pandemic, God's getting ready to bring something that has been sorely needed here in the West for uh, really the last 200 years? And that's real revival. Not, not, a, not a series of meetings, you know, where we meet from mon- Monday through, or Sunday night through Wednesday night, and, you know, have, have food, and, and not, not that, but real honest God-sent, Holy Spirit-fueled revival. It's possible. Look, look at verse 26 and 27, okay? So, so in, in, that, in the fact that God will grow his kingdom, there are really two parts to this. The first is, is the mystery. There is a mystery to the growth. Jesus says this in verses 26 and 27. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. I shared a while back, um, grew up in in cotton country. My my dad was a cotton farmer, and right now there are farmers all over West Texas planting cotton. They don't just put it in the ground and then walk away and come back um, in November ready ready to harvest it. There's, There's a lot of work that goes into that. But I've never seen a farmer have any control over the growth of the seed. Now they'll fertilize. Many of them will water. They'll have irrigation systems to water. There's plowing. There's, there's taking care of weeds throughout the summer. They have no control over whether or not a seed sprouts and grows. Maybe that's coming. I'm sure one day there'll be an app for that, right? You just hit a button and like seeds start growing. It's not there yet, as far as I know. It's a mystery. Farmer works, he plants, and then while he sleeps, the seed is growing. There's a great mystery to it, meaning we... We can know something of how God works in the hearts of people, but, but ultimately, we do what we can. We share the gospel, we disciple, we answer questions, 
And then we pray that, that God is at work in ways that we, we don't even recognize in the human heart. So there's a mystery to it, but, but don't miss the second part. The growth is a certainty. Verse 28, the soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, now in Jesus' words here, there is a certainty to what he's talking about. In fact, it's possible he's looking at a field as he's explaining this and saying, look, first, first the seed goes in. Then you see just that, that first blade that comes up through the soil. And then the head. And then the next thing you know, it's a full plant. So it's a mystery. We may not know how it works. But you walk out into a field and by golly, it's there. It's happened. So what do we do then? If, if, how, can we be, how can we be certain the kingdom of God is multiplying in our lives and, 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 and that it's taking root in the lives of those around us? Well, for believers, we have to receive the word. It's how you become a believer, right? There had to be a seed planted in you at some point. This is what James would say in James 1.21. Simply says this, Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Humbly receive it. Now, for, well, for those of us who are, who are believers, then you might look at that and say, well, I've already done that. Okay, that's good. Now how are you allowing that seed to flourish in your life? How are you watering it? Anybody ever had a, you know, had a, had a really great plan to, to plant a garden? Right, I'm going to plant a garden, you know, it's, it's going to be great. I know it didn't work the last 10 years, but man, this is the year, right? Do you, does, does just planting the tree or planting the, the seed, is that all you've got to do? No. No. Especially not in Alamogordo dirt. I've seen plants that, you know, people have said, oh, you can't kill them. <laughs> Alamogordo dirt sure did. <laughs> right? No, you've got to continue to cultivate that if you want to see it grow. Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Keep in mind that, that for, the, for believers, what we see in Scripture is that believers produce fruit. Right? You will know them by their fruit. And that's, that's the evidence that the Spirit is still at work in us. And so, if we want to continue to see, you know, we believe God's at work around us, if we want to continue to see Him work in us, you don't just get to sit back and hit cruise control on the Christian life. It's a constant growth. And, and again, as I said, when, when we, we'll, we'll certainly announce that well ahead of time, but if you've never gone through experiencing God, I would highly encourage you to do that because this will, if, if you've never, if you, <laughs> no pun intended, if you've never experienced this before, it's a fantastic study to open you up to the reality of the kingdom of God at work in you and all around you. 
believer, cultivate your heart. Be tuned into the things of God. If you're here and you've not yet come to know Christ Jesus, you can do this as well. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive the good news of the kingdom of God. I'll share more about that in a minute. Then in verses 30 through 34, Jesus talks about the growth of the kingdom of God. So we've already said that God's at work all around us. The, the growth, there's, he will grow his kingdom. There's a, there's a mystery to it, but there's also a certainty to it. And what we see in Scripture, what we see in Jesus' story here, is that though the kingdom began small, it will grow large. Look at me at verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants, and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, you know it's extremely tiny. There's some, been some argument here, well, we know the mustard seed is not actually the smallest seed on, on the planet. There are some seeds that are smaller, and to, to which I would say that I don't think Jesus was trying to make a scientific point here. What he's trying to say is you start with a mustard seed, which is tiny. It eventually blossoms into something much larger. He says, even to the point that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Um, I, I, my, I did my uh, Doctor of Ministry project on a passage in the book of Acts. And, and as part of that, I looked at evangelism throughout the, the book of Acts. And how the kingdom of God spread. And it's, it's fascinating because at the beginning of Acts, you have 120 believers who are gathered together in a room. And, and, and man, they don't know which way's up, right? I mean, they're, they're trying to figure out, Jesus just ascended into heaven, and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out what, what all happens. One of the disciples, um, Judas Iscariot, just went off and, and, and killed himself. And so now they're wrestling with, man, what do we do to, to replace Judas? Um, how, how do we proceed from here? We've been given these, these orders, we, but we don't know what... We've been given orders to share the gospel. We don't know what that looks like. There's 120 of them. 11 of whom were the apostles, men that actually spent time with Jesus. The rest were what we would know as lay people. And over the course of about 30 years... The kingdom of God, followers of Christ Jesus, grow from 120 people gathered in a room in Jerusalem to at the end of the book of Acts, we're told there are many thousands of believers throughout the known world. The book of Acts closes with Paul in Rome which was as central a city in the ancient world as you could possibly have. The center, uh, literally the center of 
the Roman Empire, which the Roman Empire ruled most of the known world for around 1,500 years. So, so the center of the universe as far as humanity was concerned. And Paul's there under house arrest, meeting with folks day in and day out, hoping eventually to go on to Spain. And we're not sure if he ever actually made it there or not before he was martyred. But the point is that over the course of 30 years, Christianity grew from 120 people to a worldwide movement. Then from history, as civilization expanded, so too did the gospel. Until now, 2,000 years later, here we are in Alamogordo, New Mexico, proclaiming the same Jesus that Paul proclaimed. That the same Jesus that the apostles walked with on the earth. Though the kingdom began small, it will grow large. This is what Jesus said. Although it started small, just a, just a small seed. It will grow. It says, in fact, it grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. You remember from a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the parable of the seed and the soils, Jesus said that in some soil, in, in the good soil, seed will produce 30, 60, a hundred times what was sown. This is the promise of the kingdom of God. It will grow. Now, now some have taken this and said, well, okay, it says the, the birds of the air will nest in its shade. Well, back at the beginning of chapter 4, the, the birds were not good because the seed that was sown along the path, we're told that, that the seed was snatched up by the birds. So, so does that mean that, that, the, that if, if the kingdom gets too big, that Satan will come in and infiltrate it? Well, we, we certainly see some, some evidence of Satan attacking believers. Have a myriad of churches that would claim to be followers of Christ, but their fruit would show otherwise. I don't have time to name names. I have opinions if you really want to know. I'll, I'll be happy to give you a list. Um, but I, I think what we see here is Jesus simply trying to make a point. In, in this case, that what began as small grows exponentially larger. And this, this thing that began as just a little seed will end up providing shade for birds of the air. We'll, we'll end up providing nurture for God's creation will benefit. As the kingdom of God grows, it benefits all of creation. In fact, if we go back to Ezekiel chapter 17, we see almost this exact same language. And so Jesus is just really using this imagery from, from the prophet Ezekiel. So this is what the Lord God says. I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and plant it. I will pluck a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and I will plant it on a high towering mountain. I will plant it on Israel's high mountain so that it may bear branches, produce fruit, become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade 
of its branches. So, so here, Jesus is talking about um, the, the kingdom of Israel. Even though they were experiencing some, some difficult days, God wasn't done with them yet. And, and Jesus uses that same language to explain the, the growth of the kingdom of God. It's what began as small is going to become large. This is a guarantee. In fact, as we get to Revelation, as we take a look at the end of all things, this is what John said he saw. The consummation of all things. Revelation 7. It said, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. Kingdom of God becomes worldwide. And that's on display the consummation of all things. You know, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked just a bit about, about racism and about how, how the, the race, uh, racism that we experience in this world is, is anti-gospel. And here we see why. Because the kingdom of God is not American. The kingdom of God is not Western. The kingdom of God is not Asian or European. The kingdom of God is global. People from all tribes, every nation, every people, every language, point that no one can number them. Standing before the throne, crying out, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so, folks, be comforted this morning in knowing that the growth of the kingdom of God is a certainty. No pandemic, no economic shutdown, no, no struggling churches, nothing like that's going to slow down the kingdom of God. I uh, have a, a pastor friend who... Um, serving a church right now of about 12 people back in uh, East Texas. And over the past four or five months, they, they've been trying to figure out what they're going to do. Talked through some different options, uh, revitalization or replanting, much like, like we've done here. Um, talked about merging with another church. Talked about closing the, the church. 12 people. Average age in their late 70s. Through discussions, they have been talking about how to, how to, how to best use the resources and, and that, that, how that local church body can be used for the kingdom of God. After months and months and months of discussion and prayer, they had a business meeting yesterday. They said, we don't want to be replanted. We don't want to merge with another church. We don't want a church plant to come in here. We don't want to close our doors. Pastor said, okay, so what do you want to do? I said, we think we're just going to go on just like we are. 
Until the time comes when we no longer have a choice, we have to close the doors. Now, now I'll be honest, when I, when I read that message on, on Facebook yesterday, like my heart sank. I mean, this is, I, mean I'm, I work for the replant team, right? This is, our, this is what our passion is. And, and seeing what God is doing here gives me a passion when I talk to other, other pastors and say, listen, God's not done. But, but if your doctor comes to you and says, listen, you're dying, and here are some courses of treatment, and you say, nope, I'm good, there's only one way that ends. And I was so disheartened yesterday after, after seeing that message, hurting for my, my pastor friend and his family as they're trying to figure out what, what this means for them and how they move forward. When I see things like that, it's easy to become discouraged until I read something like this and say, you know what? God's kingdom will not be stopped. Even at times in our stubbornness as people, God's kingdom will not be stopped. Now, now what's, what's the difference? The difference is in how we get to experience the growth of the kingdom of God. See, b- believer, you have a choice. You can kick back and say, nope. It's too uncomfortable. Not willing to change. And make no mistake, God's kingdom will continue growing. But you're going to miss out on some really great blessings of being a part of it. Or, we can respond like the prophet Isaiah. Here am I, send me. You know, what's interesting about that story is that that's usually where we stop, right? Here am I, send me. Or don't you want to be like Isaiah? Don't you want to be surrendered to the Lord's will just like Isaiah? See, if you keep going in that passage, the Lord says, all right, Isaiah, here's where I'm sending you. I'm sending you to a people that will not listen. At that point, Isaiah has a question, as you might imagine, right? Okay, Lord, how long? The Lord's response is, until the city lies in desolation. Now go. See, it's easy to say that when when it's, here am I, send me. Okay, cool, you're going to go and you're going to see great revivals. You're going to see the kingdom of God expand. How about if we are told to go and we're going to have one of the hardest tasks that's ever been? Would you still go? Would it still be worth it? I'm often amazed by the first, some of the first missionaries that were sent in what we'd call the modern missions movement. Two, two come to mind. First is a guy by the name of William Carey who's really known as the father of modern missions. And packed his family and went and served among a people group for seven years without seeing a single convert. Seven years. Laboring 
sharing the gospel, translating the scriptures into the local language. Nothing. For seven years. We're such a numbers-driven people right now that, you know, we might, today we might be tempted to say, well, he just needed a new methodology. He needed a, he needed a, best, a better gospel tool. He needed, he needed better lights and better sound. Right? Was God at work? After seven years, he saw somebody come to faith in Christ. If, if I understand the, the, the worth of a human soul, would we not say that those seven years were well worth that one soul alone? Another is really one of the very first um, American Baptist missionaries that, that we know about, a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. He and his family went overseas, and you guess how long they labored? Seven years. Seven years before they saw their first convert. And that time his wife passed away. Went to hard places to share the gospel. What keeps somebody going like that? Like, I mean, wouldn't, listen, I, I'm, I'm not a very patient person by nature. So, like, by, by about year three, I'd be going, did, did I miss my calling here? Is there something off? What keeps somebody laboring in a spot for six, six and a half years without seeing a single person come to faith in Christ? I think it's the reality of what we saw today. God is always at work in the world around us. How would that change your outlook when you wake up in the morning? How would that change? How, how would that change going to Walmart, even though knowing you've got to wear a mask to do so? How, how would that change walking through these doors on a Sunday morning if, if we believe that God is always at work, growing his kingdom. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ Jesus. And you're, you're wondering, what, what's all this talk of growing a kingdom and, and mustard seeds and all that? Well, the, the, the Bible's very clear that you and I are sinners separated from God because of our sin. The Bible says each of us has turned away from, from God's good plan. And that sin deserved death, but God sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior, to pay the penalty of death that we deserved. If you're here, if you're watching online, and you've never trusted in Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, you can do that today, simply praying these words, not a magic formula, some words to help you wrap your mind around what, what it means to trust in Jesus. Lord Jesus, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin, and I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. 
And maybe you're, you're here and you've, you've never done that before. You can pray those words right now, wherever you are. If you're watching us online, there's a, there's a number that's going to be on the screen right there. You can call that number, text that, and we'll get back to you soon. Um, let you know what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Maybe you're here and you say, all right, well, that's all well and good, but I've done that. <laughs> Check that off, walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, got in the tank, been, been baptized. Great, then how is God at work in the, in, in the world around you? Actually, let's zero in just a little bit further. How is God at work in your life? Because if he's at work in the world around us, you're, you're a part of that, right? And if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, the Bible says that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So how is God at work in you? And if he's at work in the world around us all the time, how does he want to use you to impact your world? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to gather together and to open up your word. And I thank you for this reality. May, may we never take that for granted, that you are always at work in the world around us, growing your kingdom. In ways that we can see, in ways that we can't see. So even as we go about our daily lives, may we be just like the farmer who's trusting That as he's cultivated the ground, as he's done his part, as we've worked to build relationships with those around us who don't know Christ Jesus, as we keep our eyes and ears open for, for signs of those who are hurting, as we're faithful to take the opportunities to share the hope of the gospel when we can, that we would trust that you're always at work in the world around us. May we be May we walk day in and day out with eyes open, asking, how is God at work in me? And how can he use me to impact the world? How can I be a part of the kingdom of God expanding? How can this local church be part of seeing the kingdom of God grow in Alamogordo? Thank you and praise you for your goodness. For your, faith, for your faithfulness to us. May you continue working in us, shaping us into the men and women that you want us to be. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.